I think today is helping people to understand what it is to be born again. Even for Christians, that's a tough one. Because I hear so many Christians say, I'm doing the best I can. I hear the Christians say, I'm trying. I hear Christians say, well, I haven't given up the faith yet. And I interpret all those in positive statements that, as the old song used to say, I'm, I'm going to stay on the battlefield till I die. Then I'm just going to keep pressing on. I'm going to keep moving on. But my question is, are you moving on in the power of God or are you moving on in the strength of man? Are you using your own intelligence, and and God gave us a brain to use, but are you living life only through your own intellect and not through the knowledge of God? We stumble in this area, I think, many times. A really understanding that being born again is not a man, but it is strictly of God. And it is God's work. It is God's work. And one of the things that throw us is that we don't understand it. And that's why it's God's work. If you understood it, it wouldn't be God's work. But it's something that God does. The second birth is of God, not man. The second birth is of God, not man. Man does everything he can do to transform himself, to change himself to change his habits, to change his way. What man can't deal with is sin. He can't deal with his sin. And therefore that second birth is strictly of God's work, not man's. But God doing something in you. The second birth is misunderstood because it is, because it is a work of God and not man. It is a work of God and not man. And the church struggles with that because it almost seems like sometimes, even in church life and Christian life, we go so far because God's brought us a certain distance, it seems like we go on autopilot from then rather than continuing on with God. It's almost like we say, okay, God, I got this now. I can do it. You ever watch that little child learning to walk? At first they won't let go of the hand, and then there comes a day that they do what? They let go and they are ready to what? Run. And that's us. 
And what we don't realize, we need to hang on to God's hand every moment of the way. From the cradle to the grave, we need to hold his hand. We need to hold it and never let it go. This command I like because I think everybody tries to fulfill it. Nobody's missing it. But the problem is, none of us really know where did it come from? Very few people really realize that God's the one who provided and God is the one who said it. And man enjoys this when he says, boy, in Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Boy, that's happening. That's happening. The population is what? Growing, booming. Okay. And most people don't even know where that comes from. They participate, but they don't know that it's been provided by God. And that's one command a lot of people do and never argue about. And this command was given before the fall. Given before the fall. Adam's children were born after the what? The fall. And life went on for a while. And all that God saw that was in man's heart was evil. And then come the era of Noah, when the flood takes place, and all that is left is Noah's family. So in Genesis 9, 1, then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Now that's the natural birth. That's the natural birth that takes place. Why? Because God ordained it. He wasn't going to take dust of the ground and make every one of us. He made an Adam. Then he created an Eve, not out of dust, from the river man. And then he told them to multiply but he gave them the ability to do so. And man been at it ever since. We love keeping this command. And a lot of people are doing their best to keep it. Whether within marriage or outside. Because that is the natural way in which God ordained that man would increase in number. God gave people the power to add to the population of the earth. And people think that they are the ones who give life. And they forget the one who knows what's even taking place in the mother's womb. And that God even knew that one before they even gave birth. 
People think that they are the ones who gives life. Can you do something and pass something down from one generation to another and somehow that generation can begin to believe in something that they created? Something that they somehow put together? And sometimes it just begins to happen with no thought even given to it. Like the young lady who cut her turkey in half to bake it on Thanksgiving Day. And she would put them in two different pans. And her husband finally asked her one day, why do you do it that way? And she just simply said this. That's how my mom did it. Get by a pan to put the whole turkey in and do it one time. Don't have to cut it in half. Just one time. But how many of you are doing exactly what you've been taught? How many of you are doing just what you know? They see, they experience it. Man and woman get together. Nine months later, here comes a what? Boy, look what we did. But that's the natural life. That is not the spiritual life. That is the natural life. Not the spiritual. Go with me to St. John, chapter 1. Picking up again at verse 12. We're going to add verse 13 to it. Yet to all who, be, who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Born of God. Of God. And oftentimes when life comes, we never give thought of who is the real giver of life. Who is the one that makes it really possible? And we do get to that situation sometime in life where we think, boy, we're the one doing it. We're the ones doing it. And what we have to come back and realize, it is the power of God or the authority of God that gives us life in Christ. And thereby we live in that power and that authority and that ability and capability of which God then grants unto us through Christ. God only gives birth to that which is spiritual. The natural man cannot do that. Only God has that ability to give spiritual life. 
and not man. And he says, for as many who believe, it is what is given to people who believe. But here comes the kicker to that. Boy, we struggle. We struggle. Because oftentimes what we forget, there is two natures here. There's two natures here. There's that old sinful nature that we call the flesh that, boy, daily we got to do what with it? Put it to death. Put it to death. Because it will rear up in a moment. It's never embarrassed to speak up for itself. It will stand up at times when you wish for it. I thought I already dealt with this. And then there's the spiritual nature that we have to yield to and we have to be willing to obey and we have to be willing to follow after the Spirit of God. We have to be willing to accept the teaching of God's Word and not just be hearers of it, but to begin to practice it and to perform it. And the one who gives us the power to perform it is God himself. And oftentimes, that's where faith comes in, because God, will you truly give me the ability to walk uprightly with you? Will you give me the ability in a hot situation to speak the truth? Will you give me the ability to hold my tongue when my tongue is at the starting line and it's ready to go? Will you give me the ability to not use the profanity that boy that's running through my mind? Will you give me the ability not to argue at this, fight with it? Would you teach me, Lord, to just yield to your spirit? to yield to your spirit, to accept your will, and to be willing to walk in your will. And that's the struggle that we fight. The will to really perform what God is asking of us to do and how we are to live. We're fighting that constantly. And that whole battle it constantly takes place in our lives. And without a spiritual consciousness, we only live in a lost state of sin. Without a spiritual consciousness, a, a spiritual knowledge, that's what Melvin was teaching this morning. God is where? Right here. Used this illustration many times, but I think it still fits. When mom and dad was around, how good were you? But when dad and mom were not watching or you were out of their presence, what was your behavior like? What kind of words you may have used? See, when I was a young man, Scott's 5 and 10 downtown, Boy, we had our Boy Scouts uniforms on. 
and we did a good deed daily. We stole as much candy out of Scotts 5 and 10 with our Boy Scout suits on. Boy, we forgot. God saw it. God's right there. And what you're doing, is God right there? When you're dating the wrong person, is God right there? In that relationship, you're doing the thing that is against the word of God. Is God right there? Yeah. When you're arguing with your boss, and you forget the position of where you are, and you are the subordinate. Is God right there? See, the whole process is that somehow we're not conscious of God and what God is doing in our lives, moment by moment, day by day. Without a spiritual consciousness, we only live in a lost state of sin. We sin without giving thought of God or his word. Now understand this. If Satan keeps you from God's word, you don't know what God expects of you. And you are just trying to do the best you can do, but all you have to measure yourself with is your brother or your sister you're looking at. But when you measure yourself with Christ, when you measure yourself with the word, and that becomes your measuring stick, you'll find you always fall short and you got a ways yet to go. And he says, boy, we sin without giving thought to God's presence that God's right here. He's watching me. God's hearing me. God sees me. And the psalmist says, I've hid the word of God in my heart that I may not what? Sin against God. Because, see, if that word is in there and I start to do something wrong, guess what pops up? The word of God. It pops up right up in front of me. I, I wasn't thinking about that, but all of a sudden, somehow it just zooms through here. And we become aware of it. If Satan keeps us from God's word, he keeps us from a consciousness of God and his will for our lives. And God's will for our lives. Believe in his name, John 1.12 said. If I just believe in his name, now turn with me to John 7. John chapter 7. Where am I going? 38 and 39. Get these glasses. Whoever believes in me, whoever believes. Two weeks ago, I reminded you what John was starting. In the beginning was the word, and the word was where? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? And the word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. And without him nothing was made. Do you believe that? 
Do you believe that he is the light of the world, that he is the light of every man? Do you believe that? And what he compiled when he comes down to that verse 12, boy, for many has received him, and those that believed what was previous, and I brought to you the resurrection hadn't taken place yet. The cross hasn't taken place yet. But if you believed in him, he says, I give you power to become children of God. Believe. Believe. So, in 38 says, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, as what have said? The scriptures. You ask people why they believe. Well, I just believe. I just believe there's a God. Well, who told you there was a God? Well, I just surmise that there is a God. But see, you can conjure up your own God. And that's what an idol is. You make God be what you want him to be rather than what Scripture declares him to be. And what Scripture declares him to be, now you've got to make a decision. Do you believe that? And many people will conjure up their own God and they rather believe what they conjure up or what they think rather than what Scripture declares about God. And that's why he says, for as many who believe, because if they believed what was said previously, they had to forgo whatever their thoughts were previously and now accept this. And when they accepted what God said, then God gave them power to become the children of God. Let's go a little further here in this text. It says, by this, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from from within him. By this he meant the Spirit. Now catch what else he's going to say here. Whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to the time the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So he gives us an explanation of those in the gospel, who accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, but yet living, in a sense, without the Spirit dwelling within, that does not mean the Spirit is not what? On the outside, ministering to them. If we hold to the very fact that, boy, the Spirit doesn't begin to live in a person until the New Testament. But the Old Testament shows us constantly the Spirit was still working where? On the outside. But to believe something had to happen. And it has to be the work of God again. For them to believe and for them to receive, there had to be a conviction that took place. And whose job is it to convict us of our sin? 
The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. He convicts them. And they receive. They believe. And they received. And the thing comes around again. That here they are. They're believing. But the power of God's word is what is keeping them. The very presence of the person of Jesus is the one in a sense that is keeping them. Those who believe. He gave them power and authority to become children of God. Now what God gives doesn't take back. He gave them the power or the ability to become the children of God. And I imagine they really didn't understand that. Because I don't think too many of us understand what it is to be a child of God. What tells me that is the way we act, the way we live, the way we talk, and the things we do. Why power? What they were going to become, they needed power. They needed power for what they were going to become. Not what they are. No time do you find in scripture where Jesus says, follow me, but stay the same as you are. But when you come to him, there's that expectation that's already been set in place. You're going to change. Therefore, scripture says, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? A new creature. Something's going to happen beyond your control. Now, you may wonder about it, you may fight about it, you may uh, be against it, but if your heart and your mind really came to a point to confess Jesus Christ as Lord, then God, through his word, has to act. Not based on your understanding, but on his understanding of what he desires you to be, knowing you cannot be that without him. Without him. Let's go to Romans 6.14 real quick for a moment. Romans 6. Verse 14. Let's pick up in verse 11 first and let's walk down to it. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin. Boy, that's going to be some task, isn't it? Lord, you don't know what you're asking me to do. Consider myself dead to the things that I have been enjoying for 10, 15 years, or whatever it might be, some longer. And, and Lord, you're asking me to deny myself of the pleasures of what I see going on in the world.
In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Boy, God, somehow you got to give me the power to fight against this temptation. you got to empower me to be able to say no. you got to empower me to be able to turn my back to it. you got to empower me. If you're not empowered, you're going to fall right into it. And God empowers you. Don't think Joseph just took off running by himself. Because the natural man wouldn't have ran. The natural man would have said, well, hey, the husband's out doing his thing, and I'm here. She's offering. Why? But he took off running. But what gave him the power to run? Not the natural man, but the relationship that he was enjoying with God became more important. See, one of the ways to gauge your importance, one of the ways for me and Elaine, because she's an attractive thing. Where's that Kentucky Fried Chicken one? And this guy came up because I had my grandmother with me. And I don't know how he thought Elaine would be my daughter, but but he came up and he said, can I buy the young lady and uh, your mother uh, their dinner today? And many of you would know the young man as Michael Dokes. <laughs> and he wanted to buy Elaine chicken. Go ahead, man, buy it. See? See? I'm going through that song in my head. You can dance every dance with every man that comes along, but you're going home with who? (laughs) 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 And, And that whole thing was that boy. The flesh would just jump out. The flesh will just jump out. Unless you are able to say no. And don't think it's within your own power that you're saying no. To sin. It is the power of God. That's the reason we have 50 years of marriage. When I went up to meet Mark's family, they got a little angry because a woman across the table across from us was trying to get my attention. You know, and I recognized what she was trying to do. But I stayed focused on our table. You know, but faith caught on. So I imagine if she could catch on, I guess I wasn't too slow. Okay. Okay. But the answer has to be what? No. A young man or a young woman approach you, and they don't approach you in the right way, and they're not really walking with the Lord, your answer ought to be what? No. Now, most of us just want to be what? Accepted. And for a lot of young ladies today, if a man speaks to them, boy, he spoke to me. (laughs) 
No. You're the one that has to say what? No. And men, you have to say no, whether married or single. We need to learn how to say what? No. But that no doesn't come from you. It comes from the power of God within you saying no to that which is sin. And you need to really understand God's given you then that power and that authority to say no, that you will not yield your members to unrighteousness. That you can say no. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been bought from death to life. And offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of what? Righteousness. Of righteousness. Of righteousness. Remember what Paul shared with us last week? God is not about being a moral God. He's about being what? A righteous God. A righteous God. And God has called you to righteousness. That we would live in righteousness. And though Satan has blinded some of us, And though we don't always see, and boy, we're getting better eyesight. And understand something. The more you're in the Word, the better your eyesight becomes. Because your eyes can deceive you. (laughs) But when you're in the Word, your sight becomes clearer. The ability to live a transformed life. Second Corinthians 5, if any man be in Christ. And, and then God has given you, according to 2 Peter 1, 3-4, God has given you everything you have need of to live godly. Again, that's the power of God giving it to you. That we do not have an excuse. But when you stand before God and you say, well, Lord, you, you know, it was this, this, and that. God's going to be saying, I gave you the power to say no to it. I even gave you the right action to take in that situation. I was there to lead you out of every trial and every temptation, but you got to be willing to follow, and you didn't follow. Well, there's no temptation that what? That is common unto man that God in his own way has not made a what? A way of escape. The question is, do you want to escape it? Do you want to get out of it? Do you want to run away from it? And he says in First Thessalonians 1, 4 through 5. Let's turn there real quick. Because, again, it, it talks about that area of power that sometimes we forget that we have. But he starts out, he says, verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with what? Words. 
but also with power. If the word of God did not have power, the gospel did not have power, if it was just something written on a page like a normal book, it would not transform our lives. But because the word has power, and when you believe it, that power then is activated in your life. That you can perform what you have read, what you have seen. God then gives you the power to do it. He gives it to you. Came not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep what? Conviction. That you really what? Believe this. To be God's word. And you're willing to act on it. Because it is. The Holy Spirit is at work with those who believe. He's at work with those who believe. And he understands that, boy, believing God will transform your life. If you really believe him and believe his word, it will transform you. And it will do things that, boy, you yourself could never have done. And that's why sometimes you're always wishing for a better life. You're wishing for this. You're wishing for that. You're wishing for this change. You're wishing for that to take place. You set your goal but never get there. The whole process is not God's goal. And your wishing is not what God wants. But when you fall in line with God and his word, you'll be surprised what begins to take place and the changes that come about in your life. Even the changes of cutting loose old friends. Why? Because all things are becoming new. The old things begin to do what? Pass away. They are removed. And sometimes it's hard to walk away from old friends. Sometimes it's hard to walk away from old habits. Sometimes it's hard to walk away from an old neighborhood. But if you're going to make any changes in your life, you have to be ready to do that. And let God lead you. And that whole process in First John chapter two and verse three, he comes by and he says, "We know." How many of you know what you know, what you know, and you believe what you know? How many of you believe what you know of the Word of God? Now understand this. How many of you have ever been thirsty? Yeah. See? Don't drink that water. See, being thirsty, you drink any kind of water. Won't you, Jasper? Won't you, Roscoe? Okay. Because in Vietnam, boy, you used to have to drop your canteen down in the water. And then you put two of them pills that they give you, the miracle working pills, in. <laughs> and hope it purified the water. But if you had a glass and you were really thirsty, and you ain't drunk this much water, 
Would it quench your thirst, you think? No. But if you drunk that much water, isn't that right, Tyler? That there gallon of water I asked you to carry around to, to drink, huh? That whole process, that much water. Now, let me share something with you. You'll quench that thirst. Now, that's what a lot of us do with the word. We only get that much of it. The problem is, Satan satisfies us on just that much of it. When we all would be taken in. Yes. What the songwriter penned, fill my cup, Lord, fill it up. Fill it up till I what? Want no more. Fill my cup, Lord, fill it up. And some of us need to be praying, Lord, fill this cup with your word. I'm not satisfied with just this. I'm not satisfied with just a three-minute devotion. I'm not satisfied with just reading two verses. And don't get me wrong. If God stops you with two verses, you stay there and you linger on those two verses or that one verse or that one word. You just linger on it. Because you're still in communication with your God. But you ought to desire what? More. Don't ever become satisfied as a Christian. Because that's a deceptive manner of Satan. We should always be growing. Why? God has promised to work with us until we see Christ face to face. And if you haven't seen Christ face to face, then you're not satisfied and there's still some work going on in your life. And that whole process is that we move from one thing to another. The children are born not of natural descent. And that's what he starts off in that verse 13. And he allows us to know that. And God wants to make this very clear. The children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of the flesh, as the King James says, or of blood, as King James says, or a husband's will, but of God. But of God. And that's what man struggles with. That it's a work of God that has to take place in each one of our lives. Now, which was born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, the conclusion is the same, but of God. The spiritual life is the will of God for each and every one of us. It is God who's going to grow us up. It is not the natural man's will. It is not the natural man that allows us to be born into a spiritual life. It is strictly God's. Strictly God's. What takes place here is not of natural descent, and he explains it. How does he explain it? He explains it with 
Who? Nicodemus. So he uses Nicodemus here as that example. So turn over to John chapter 3. And it's amazing what's going to take place here with John. So when we pick up in verse 3, he says, Jesus, in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is what? Born again. Now, Nicodemus is there scratching his head and saying, how is that going to take place? And I don't think it has stopped down through the decades, through the centuries, through the years that man has figured this out and man still can't understand how they would be born again. No one can see the kingdom unless born again. And man's understanding is how. So Nicodemus' question in verse 4 is how? How is this possible? Because God's given you the power. God's given you the ability. The natural life comes through who? The woman. But the spiritual life comes through God. Through God. Man understanding is how. The second time into my mother's womb, Now, how much time, and some of you have heard me read from Sermon Marshall before, but how much time has lapsed from Nicodemus until at least somewhere in the 70s, early 80s with Thurman Marshall? Supreme Court judge, a lawyer, intelligent, smart, had won many cases. He's talking about his professor because he was in dentist school at first. And um, his dentist teacher flunked him. So Thurman Marshall came up with the idea, well, my hands are too big to go in somebody's mouth, so it might be better for me to be a lawyer. And that's what he became, a lawyer. But he was at the White House at a luncheon. He says, I remember being at a White House luncheon where a woman started talking to me about this born-again stuff. I said, Madam, please, I cannot be born again. And she asked, why? And I said, my mother is dead. So how am I going to be born again? And boy, didn't she get mad. Can you see Nicodemus' thought? Can you see this intelligent lawyer who had won many cases before the Supreme Court, who had fought many cases in court, and as intelligent as he was to come up with the same answer that was given centuries before? And yet he gives the same exact how. How is it possible? 
How can it be? What makes it possible is God. Is God. But that's the part that we all have to understand. That it is a work of God that is doing this. That is growing a spiritual person. That is growing a person with a consciousness towards him. To have a mind towards him. An individual who desires to be like Christ and have that mind of Christ. That is a work of God. That is a work of God. Then verse 5 says, born of water and spirit. And that has been a difficult passage over the issue of water. And Lot will break it down as the water was the baptism of repentance. Why? Because repentance has to take place before the spiritual takes place. Repentance has to take place beforehand. And the Jewish people were used of using water and baptism for admitting you into this group or that group. And it was the culture throughout the world in many ways to baptize people in many different things that they would start something new through baptism. And many commentaries will use, especially older ones, will use the area that the water relates to baptism, which relates to repentance. And simply put, repentance before salvation or before spiritual life would ever start. But turn with me to Corinthians 15, and we're going to walk through this a little bit. Remember Dr. Legrison. He said, Gus, you come up with some of the things I've never thought about. But he also says, you know, always remember, theology is the study of man, is not the, of, of God, but it's not the conclusion of God. For everything man has already spoke on concerning God, there is yet much more to yet be spoken on. I appreciate it, Dr. Legerson. In many different ways. But pick up with me. Oh, in 45. And let's kind of walk through it. He says, So it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving what? A life-giving spirit. Now I need them back on because I can't see nothing. Came a life-giving spirit. But the first Adam, boy, he was not spiritual. He had a relationship with God. He walked with God. but was not spiritual.
the natural, then after the natural, the spiritual. The natural, then the spiritual. First from the dust of the earth, the second from heaven. Who is from heaven? Jesus. Who is from the earth? Adam. Those of the earth, those which are from heaven above. So you got two issues here, from the earth and then from heaven above. The only way the earthly came was through the woman. Whatever followed after Adam and Eve, because God didn't bend down, take any more dirt, it came through who? The woman. Remember what the command was? Go and be fruitful. Go and be fruitful. Stay with me. Go and be fruitful. Then when you get into that verse 49, let's pick 47, go to 49. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Now verse 49. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly, you born the likeness of who? A man of humanity, of the earthly. So shall we bear the likeness of the man from where? From heaven. Now, what does that have to do back with John? The water I'm going to suggest to you is not baptism. Because baptism did not birth you, per se. And the argument that God gives is that this is not of the will of man. This was not of the nature of man. But this comes from God. And what comes from the woman is earthly as man. But before every woman gives birth, something has to break. It's called the water. And when that water breaks, then life is soon coming. And it comes in the image or the likeness of who? Earthly man. Earthly man. But it does not it is not born spiritual, it is born natural. And it is born with a sin nature. And that's the first what? Life. That's the first birth. And that second birth that comes from heaven 
comes from God. And that's why some scriptures say you must be born from where? From above. Not earthly, but from above. You're already born once. But that second birth comes from above. And it's empowered by God to live that Christian life, to live that spiritual life, to live that new life. Now here's the thing that we fight is our thought. I hear that, but how does that happen? Unexplainable. Unexplainable. Man can talk about the DNA. Man can talk about the eggs. Man can talk about life, but man cannot explain to you how God fits that woman's body to do all the expansion that it does and to house that child for nine months. That's only a work of God. That was not science. That's God. And that then she gives birth to that which is like humanity. And when God gives birth, he gives birth to that which is like Christ. That is like Christ. And that's why he says, when you are born from above, you are now predestined to be like Christ. Not what you want to be, but like his son in every way. And just like the earthly took on the earthly image or likeness, when you are born from above, you take on the likeness of Jesus Christ, his son. And that's the transformation. That's the process that begins. And this is the part we don't understand. The moment I accepted Christ, I was a work in process. But the moment I accepted Christ, I was also a finished work that if I died in that same moment, I would be complete in Him. And that's the part we don't understand. That all that I was going to ever be in Christ was at that very moment in which I accepted Him. And as God gives me life, He expands that more and more and more as I develop to be more like him. But you have all the Christ you're ever going to have the moment you were born from above. Just like the moment you came out that womb and you have all the life you were ever going to have as a human being. The birth that is from heaven is the will of God and not man. It is not the natural thing. 
It is the power of God. It is the will of God that you live as Christ. It is God who has given you the power. Understand this. To think differently. How long have Satan had your mind to develop your mind in the things of the world? To think differently, to see things differently. That is the power of God. Man has proven one thing about prison. He can't transform man. He can't make a new creature because he goes into prison five years, ten years. And many people come out of prison or back in prison within a very short period of time. Because the reform that was supposed to have taken place didn't work. But the very evidence of the power of God in your life is the transformation that you see take place in your life. That when you look in the mirror, you're no longer looking at what you looked at a week ago, a month ago, a year ago. You are seeing something that is being transformed by the Holy Spirit and by God. And you're different. You're different. And without the power of God, and without God doing this, giving birth to you, you would never be able to do what is righteous. Because as he teach you his word, and the gospel didn't come just in word, it came with what? Power. As you allow the word of God to saturate your life, it empowers you to live the life that is pleasing to God. Did you hear what Melvin was doing this morning in Sunday school? I always use him since he's sitting here. Don't want to talk behind his back. But as he took us through that song, so that God is always what? Present. And he just took it one line at a time, one thought at a time. Why? That we could catch the very ideal that God is where? Omnipresent. God can be with me right here and I move over here. God's not over there. God is where? Right here. He never leaves me nor forsake me. I understand sometimes what they say, that, boy, sometimes when you take the wrong path, God's right here waiting on you to what? come back, but in reality, as you go down that wrong path, God's kind of like walking with you. But he's letting who guide. The difference is whether or not he's behind you or you're behind him. That's the difference in our walk. Is God following me, trying to catch me? Or boy, is God in front of me and I'm trying to catch him. 
close with this here illustration. I was raising my kids. We went in the store. They already knew certain rules. One, you did not get out of eyesight. (laughs) Whenever I turn around, you better be right there. (laughs) Two, you didn't touch anything because you didn't have no money. Number three, you kept up. So when I moved, they moved. And they stayed right there behind me. They weren't going to be up here. If you got up there, you are going to get two swats. Because you're supposed to be back here. And it is with God. When you're up here and God's back here, you can guarantee this. You're in trouble. (laughs) You're in trouble. But when you're allowing God to lead and you're in your proper place, position, you're in a good spot. You're in a good spot. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Amen? Amen. And as you follow him, he will empower you to keep on following him because Satan's going to do all he can do to cause you to what? Stumble or want to run ahead of him. Follow him because he's the one who's given you the power to become the children of God. And if he gave you the power to become the children of God, then he gives you the power to live that life. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, that this work of salvation and the work of sanctification, the work of justification, the work of redemption, the work that continues to go on in our lives is the work of God. Because you have given birth to us. You take on the responsibility of us. Because you are our parent. You don't run away from us. You don't give birth to us and then leave us. But you cause us to be born from above. And then, Lord, as we will look at in the weeks to come, you came down and put on flesh to be an example for us that we might be able to follow after you more clearly. Lord, I pray that, Lord, as we just go through this first area of John, that, Lord, you speak to our hearts, you grab hold of our hearts, that if any of us are trying to live the Christian life on our, on our own, if any of us has just accepted Christ because we've been told to accept Christ and we've been told that this is the religious thing to do or we've been told that we ought to be doing this or that, that, Lord, they will throw it all down today and that they will hear you. They will hear you call them their child. They will recognize, Lord, that you're the one who empowers them to become 
the living child of the living God. You're the one who gives them the power to say no to sin. You're the one who gives them power to say no to the wrong man, to the wrong woman, to the wrong lifestyle, to the wrong type of speech, to the wrong type of character. You're the one, Lord, who gives us the power to say no. And you give us that power because our lives are to be a witness of your transformation power that takes place in each and every one of us. Help us to yield to your spirit. Help us to surrender all that you might be glorified. You're going to take a moment, and this is up to you. If life is hard and difficult, and Job says that a person born of a woman will have trouble all their lives. And James tells us, when trials and troubles come, rejoice. Don't get angry. Don't get upset. Because God is working something out. I just want to pause for a moment. Roscoe, would you come on up? And what I want to do, if you want to pray about your spiritual walk, if you want to want to say, Lord, help me. I am struggling. Lord, I do need power. Would you just find your way up here real quick? We're not going to pray long over you. But we want you to know it's a work of God and we want to pray with you over it.